I heard every crunch of that forever in my headphones. Bit of ASMR for you. Oh my gosh. So, is today the Armageddon episode? Um, okay, yep. So, James, you sent this email around... You're quite the article writer. Is this for? It was this email? It was. It was basically an article about the current economic position, predictions, impacts from COVID, written with the purpose of being published somewhere, like LinkedIn or something. Uh, no, not really. I, as you would know, as anybody that listens regularly would know, I am an opinionated person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just. I. It started with a couple of friends. And then I just thought, oh, well, why not share it? A few people um, asked for it. Like it just came up in conversation with some friends and then some people felt left out. So they were like, oh, can you send it to me? And then I just thought, oh, well, anybody that's interested, anybody that asks me any questions along this sort of vein, why don't I just circle them in? And yeah, and it's become like a little mini, I don't know, publication. But it's really yeah. just opinions. It's really just my opinions. A lot of it as well, just to point out, is basic, basically it's this is what's been happening in different parts of the economy or different industries. Um, this, is what I, this is what it's led to in the past. This is what I think it will lead to. And these are my predictions about how we will be impacted, which I think is a really good summary of your um, interpretation of what's currently happening in the economy, whether it be banking, whether it be the ASX, whether it be, you know, whatever it may be. I I followed it really well, which is, you know, we both know economics is not a topic that I'm quite too interested in. Um, interested? Is interested <laughs> the right word there? Well, well, yeah, I think it is because I don't go out of my way to read about it or be informed I'm going to make it. a note on that and we're going to come back to that oh great you made some really great key points about unemployment about residential lending the welfare gap but yeah very i would say though they are quite opinionated points so absolutely many would disagree or are. agree tell me and why don't you explain to everyone what your main points were all right just before i do i guess I should probably open it up. If anyone's listening and wants the email, just uh, reach out on Instagram, I guess. Just send me your email address and I'll circle you in. Try and do you them could, every sort of 10 days. You could be part of the exclusive group, the BCC yes. group. <laughs> the BCC group. So don't worry, I'll, I will only share your email address with like telemarketers <laughs> and things like that. So no, look, the, the best way to summarize it is there are things going on that A, not everybody understands. That's me. And B, yeah. And B, um, coming back to your comment that you're not that interested, it's the, my, my main learning above all this is if you're interested or not, it's still gonna get you. Like blissful ignorance is not blissful in this uh circumstance like where what we're going through at the moment if all we rely on is the media we are really subject to opinions that benefit that particular publication without going too full tinfoil hat on everyone and saying they're all wrong because i don't think that 
I just think there's there's much bias out there. And so that's what I'm trying to put forward in these emails is let's try and cut through the shit. There is, I'm trying to put it forward objectively and bearing in mind that that is virtually impossible. But I, I do try and present points and my position on the points and how that affects things and then um, go from there. So happy to share with anyone. But what today is about is quite a landmark position. I think we could look back at maybe even from today to about 14 days ago as the catalyst period of like one of the, if not the biggest like economic shift that we'll ever see. It's genuinely substantial. It is. Mm. Um, yeah, so I guess that's why I called it Armageddon. Yeah, it was drama- a dramatic title. Dramatic, yes. <laughs> Terrifying, yes. Realistically, sadly, yes. Yes. I think so. I think and it's so great. The, the nature of Armageddon is, you know, that it's, it's biblical in the New Testament there was a battle between good and evil before the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going through. Call it the good is our genuine, true economy. So things like employment rates, small businesses, like are they open, are they closed, home values, residential rents, commercial rents, and inflation. The things that affect you and I Inflation, the best way to describe is how much does it cost us to go down the street and buy a bottle of milk? Yeah. Right? So they're all the things that affect us. The, and then we'll call the bad the ASX 200, which many people confuse as the economy. That's not the economy. That is our share market. And many publications out there will write that our Share market, the ASX 200 or Standard Poor's 200, whatever you want to call it, is our economy. And as we've just demonstrated then how different they are, Mm. the ASX 200 does not reflect our employment rates, small businesses, home values, residential commercial rent or inflation. Yeah. And that's, that's where we are at the moment. And that's why I'm particularly scared is... Going back to the good, which is our economy, is really hurting. I don't think anybody out there is saying the economy is fine, right? No. If they're talking about those factors that I mentioned. No Mm -hmm. one's saying, oh, unemployment's at a healthy rate. (laughs) Everyone's saying, you know, oh, I'm I'm excited to see how much uh, my home's shrunken in value. You know, there's real things hurting the back pockets of the working class Australian. And of the small business employees, there's over 2 million small business enterprises and they employ an enormous, I don't have the exact number, but an enormous percentage of Australians. The other side is the ASX 200, who as of of talking right now is is only 20% down on its peak. Right. So the highest position of all time... So Australia's come out of a very consistent rise since about 2008. 
mm-hmm. end of 2008, 2009, a very consistent upward trend to the highest point of all time in about February. Yep. And we're only about 20% down on that. Some would me, say that is less than expected. Well, to me, if you're going through the economic impacts of employment, we're at the highest unemployment of all time. Small businesses, we've got less than 5% of small businesses eligible to be open. Mm. We've got home values facing enormous disruption. How many people's super funds are tied up in a home? Yeah. Residential and commercial rent is chewing up an enormous percentage of what people earn. And printing money like the government has been doing, I'm not saying that's wrong, printing money, sending out stimulus, all of those things are hyperinflationary. Mm, that's true. All of those impacts combined, but we're down 20%. And in the last 30 days, we're only down 1.5%. Yeah, right. I'm going to pause you here with a slight warning that at the end of all of this, because what I gathered, especially from your email, was there's a lot of this is what's happening and this is my take on it. I would love to set you a task by the end of this discussion to give me a what would you have done if you were oh, in as power. a policymaker. Yes, because wow, I didn't get any of that. I got a lot of this was maybe wrong and this was maybe right. But what would James do? Anyway, we'll get back to that. That's just a bit of pressure for you. <laughs> that's that's such a good thought though because it is it's easy to be critical it is very easy to be critical so i think that yeah that could be a worthwhile exercise but yeah like we can talk about as many different um shares as we like but i've got two examples of for lack of a better term how cooked our top 200 companies are at the moment so number one is afterpay Everyone knows Afterpay. Yeah. They're a great Australian success story. They've, you know, they were born here. Now they're conquering the globe and they are just doing incredibly well. So they, Afterpay, are currently trading above where they were before the crash. Mm-hmm. I would... Um... I would ask the question, I don't know if you know, but has Afterpay, and mm-hmm. for those people who might not know what Afterpay is, it's obviously a payment system where you break up the total cost of an item or a service and you pay it in um, installments over a particular time frame. Have they implemented any strategies for people who might not be able to make payments? Okay, so they do have a hardship policy. The thing about Afterpay is an enormous percentage of their income comes from late fees. So how their business model works is the customer pays no extra, which is why it's so attractive. That's why so many people pick up Afterpay. You get to pay your $200 dress off in $50 installments over four fortnights, which is a, a cool offering. What actually happens is Afterpay charges the merchant upwards of 15%. And then if you're ever late on a payment, you, you're, you're charged a flat fee. So one would argue that as incomes have tightened recently, their, their bad debt risk is going up. Yes, So stung. their paper earnings are going up because their late fees are looking so good, right? But the reality is that people are far less likely to be able to pay mm. these back. And if you look at your list of bills and you go mortgage, 
kids eating after pay, I know which two you're going to choose, right? So it's not about disposable income because there's plenty of arguments out there that say everyone's still getting their $750 on their JobKeeper and that's a reasonable that's a reasonable amount of money to keep people going. What it doesn't take into account is Australia has an enormous credit addiction. And so the nature of afterpay is you're paying for services that you may have consumed in the past. So you can use afterpay on a dress, which might last you a year, right? Which is great. And therefore the benefit of that purchase goes on and you, you feel okay about continuing to pay for that because you might wear it again. Whereas many afterpay purchases and, and other buy now, pay later purchases are made on things like groceries. So imagine getting your groceries today for $100. Cool, no worries. I only have to pay $25 a fortnight over the next fortnight, over the next four fortnights. And then next week when you need another $100 and then the next week when you need another $100, your afterpay balance creeps up and you're no longer receiving the benefit of what you've purchased. So my argument is, right, you're much less likely to pay that. Yeah, of course, it's last on your list. Yeah, and then you throw in income contraction. Mm. And now you're even more unlikely to pay it. However, afterpay is trading at its highest rate of all time. So to me, it looks like this. Afterpay, as example number one, their sales are down year on year. Their profits over 50% down on year on year and their bad debt risk is climbing. Why are they at so their highest? Why are we trading so high? And that's what I'm saying about the Armageddon. This is where ASX 200 does not equal the mm. economic reality that we're going through. And the forces aren't in line as they should be. Right? And so when this happens... That ultimately, the ASX 200 only reflects demand and supply of the share. Yeah. Right? People want to buy it if it's going well, and people want to sell it if it's going badly. There are impacts on their genuine earnings mm -hmm. and how that affects their price, but ultimately, it's about that. And so, there's big money, big institutional money propping these businesses up when they're facing enormous disruption, and it's mm. just not... Things aren't a fraction of where they could be. The other example, example number two, is Webjet. Right. Oh, right. Webjet. <laughs> Poor Not Webjet. doing well. Right? $14 they were before the crash. Ah. Early February, $14. Now they're at $3.20. So is that not a, a more reliable indicator mm. of what can happen to your business right, during this period? I think so, but I think you also need to point out that Webjet is a business that is in one of the hardest hit industries. I think it's really hard to, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to put Webjet next to any retail or online retailer or the travel industry is is drowning right now and nobody is throwing it any sort of floaty. <laughs> mm. No, I agree. I agree. I, I, I don't fully agree with retail being less hard hit. Please explain. Like, that's, I'm sure that's what 
I, I need to be careful saying that's what the media will have us believe. <laughs> It just sounds it just sounds so loopy. It just you just sound like a goofball. Yeah. Um all right, so when was the last time you went to the shops? Physically, a long time ago. Um virtually <laughs> There's there's mu- there's a lot of online retail. Like Yeah. I think what I will say is there's there's two types of people. I think I'm on the more careful side. So for example, any of my lifestyle spending you know things that ramp up like things that are not necessary so clothes or shoes or whatever it may be I've definitely put a bit of a halt on that whereas I have girlfriends that have zero fucks given and are really using this time to just I guess feed on their on the current situation and the fact that they're at home and they're alone and they have nothing else to make them feel good and they've been just purchasing as much as possible. That's just crazy to me. <laughs> I mean, so girls but, like when crazy. are they going to use it? Well, this is the thing. It's all about prepping for that night that they'll finally be able to put that dress on and look like a right. sexy minx. How many dresses can you wear at once? <laughs> this is true. Or how many nights? Or how many places slash wardrobe changes can you fit into the first weekend where nightclubs open? That's the real Ooh. question, James. But yeah, I, I, de- I definitely have seen the two extremes at the moment. Okay. As a more broader observation, like perhaps picking out particular companies isn't the best approach. As an index, we're just facing, in, in my opinion, we're just right, we're right on the top. We're... Have you seen The Big Short? I have not seen The Big Short. You've spoken to me about this film. I think I looked it up the other day and it was two hours and 14 minutes and I thought, "Mm, that's quite an investment of time. Oh, sorry, because you don't have much time. (laughs) This is coming from the girl who watched Tiger King in two nights. (laughs) Yes, thank you. I'm glad you thought it. No, look, the, The Big Short is a very whimsical way to look at the, the real risks facing people. But the message there that I think rings true today is the market does not equal the economy. Like in, in the big short, there's a period where all of their mortgages are defaulting. Mm. The default rate is like doubling weekly. And they're Based on modelling, they're saying if it gets to 8%, the entire housing market is destroyed, mm. right? Because so heavily leveraged, right? So then they're like, um, and it's, it's creeping closer and closer to this point. And the market is just chipping away. All the price of all these bonds that people have bought in, in mortgages are steady mm. as defaults rise. Because we... Unfortunately, the share market isn't as transparent as it would seem. Like, it's, it is a rigged setup. If yep. you've got the money, you control the demand and supply. Mm. There comes a point where that tap has got no pressure left. And we're, we're edging closer and closer to that moment, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly scary. I want to, um, just before we move on too quickly, I think it was a really interesting point that you made about one disposable income and two 
tying into unemployment, which is the hidden hidden unemployment. So the people that are receiving this income to top up their payments, whether it be rent, whether it be food, whether it be whatever, um, as best that they can. But what will exactly happen when they return to work? Yeah, that's 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 the catalyst for us going over the edge, in my opinion. Mm. Like now we're no longer talking about the virus. These economic factors are, are virus or not, mm. right? And that's the, that's the terrifying piece of this is like once, if a cure came out tomorrow, I think we're still in for the same pain. And then you throw in the threat to life. It's just like a cocktail for fucking disaster. <laughs> and right like you're just gonna anyway anyway it doesn't matter i won't put some numbers on it but i think it's crazy so the what i what i think will happen is imagine the cafe at the front of your place Mm -hmm. right and they are holding on they're they're paying their they've negotiated a better rent deal they've got their employees on job keeper and everything's good for now and they're just saying, hey, the moment we can reopen, we're all good. That's the assumption around the economy at the moment. Yeah. Where my view is very different. I think the assumption that people will come back and pay $20 for some smashed avocado <laughs> is completely ludicrous, right? You are, you're going to have these staff who no longer receive JobKeeper mm. come September knocking on the door saying, hey, yep, ready to work again. And we say, yep, no one's here, right? We've, we've got an enormous hidden unemployment figure. It's impossible to quantify it, but there are over 5 million people mm. receiving JobKeeper at the moment. What do you say then to people who have said, especially, for example, with the tourism industry, and we talked about this um, a couple of weeks ago as well about um, how COVID has saved your life because it's pointed out the things that you're quite passionate about and that you didn't you kind of took for granted in a way right so one of the things people are taking for granted at the moment is definitely being able to socialize to go out with your friends to dine to go for a trip domestically internationally whatever it may be so a lot of people are saying that once this is all over for those who can or have the income to spend the first thing that they'll be doing is spending that income right because that fear of losing your job will i don't know if if right or wrong but it'll it'll fade um because you'll think you're past the worst of it you'll finally be able to get your friends together you'll you'll go back to what used to be normal but is something that you miss so much that there'll just be this influx of people spending out and about whether it's on the travel industry on the food industry whatever it is so i think a lot of these businesses that you are saying that have this assumption well we just have to get through the next let's say six months we don't have a time frame at the moment but let's just say in our minds it's six months and you know let's just let's get the job keeper payments let's let's take up the bank on their offer to um reduce our rent at the moment whatever it may be it's just about getting through this period and entering into that influx, which will make up for what we've lost. Yeah, no, I, I think it's spot on. I think the exact same thing. I think the moment, the moment restrictions are lifted, that first Friday night, imagine, imagine every person aged 18 to 35 <laughs> is going to be out, 
Yeah, that's right. We know that. We know that for sure. Think of the bars, specials, think of everything that's going on and think of the COVID transmission that's happening. But that's, <laughs> that's a separate point, right? But so I think, you, I think you're spot on. You're spot on. People will spend up big that first, that glory period of whatever it is, two, four, six weeks, whatever it is. But then when they don't go back to work, right? You, right. You've, there's already businesses that have like halved, quartered in value. Mm. And that there's so many more dominoes off the back of that. That the, these people, I think hospitality and entertainment is just going to go ballistic when, when we can, but at a very unsustainable Yeah. Manner. Yeah, right. Um, personally, right, I can't wait. I can't wait to go back out with my friends oh. like everyone, right? I know, James. But, but you know, right? You know, oh, well, my income's fallen over this period. Right? So so of my friends. So yeah, let's all go out, but then what? Yeah, right. <laughs> what happens right? after you're, the you're, second you're, round? Yeah, you you're spot on, but it's just unsustainable. So you think that there'll be there'll be a peak which will then turn into a potential decline of like hospitality spending, yeah. surely. I don't know how that'll affect uh things more broadly. Mm. Like uh, it's hard to say because, you know, we're, we're, we're in a space of no dependence, you know. So we're in a lucky spot where if we have $100, we can spend $100. Yeah. Whereas people with families are in no rush to hit the pub. Yeah. Right? Because they're getting by day to day. Um, who knows? When the economy reopens, it might coincide with the end of the mortgage deferral program. And then you go, oh, well, actually, fuck, I was planning yeah, on right. going on a huge slap-up feed while I was on free rent at home. You know, yeah. like, reality is costs come back, opportunities don't come back nearly as fast. Ooh, we are going to leave episode four on that dramatic statement from James. Part two will be episode five available next week. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to receive an insightful email from James, hit him up on Instagram at the.bird. That's T-H-A dot bird.